Today we will be studying from John 8, and our scripture reading will be John 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the word of the Lord. morning. We are in chapter 8. Last week we looked at the Feast of Booths, also known as Feast of Tabernacles, Hebrew Sukkot, and we talked about this processional that happened with water from the pool of Siloam, that this would be collected, and then they would walk up to the temple, and then as the feast ended, this symbolic act of pouring this water of life out on the base of the altar in the temple, And then the people would do this year after year because they were looking to quench this spiritual thirst within them that wasn't actually fulfilled by this religious ritual. And so it was on this last day that Jesus cried out this in John chapter 7, verse 37. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this Feast of Booths was celebrated because the the people of God were looking forward to the day that Messiah would deliver them everlasting living water that would forever quench this spiritual thirst of theirs. But every year they would find themselves thirsty again, and so they'd have to do this festival again and again. Verses 37 and 38 were words Jesus cried out to direct them to himself, that if they believed in him, then From him, they would experience this river of living water that would forever satisfy their souls in the power of the Holy Spirit. During this Feast of Booths, people would make these tent-like structures outside of their homes to commemorate, to celebrate the water coming from the rock that God provided them in the wilderness. You know, Moses struck the rock and the water came out, which wasn't the only miracle to be remembered here. It was also to celebrate God's other provisions, that God provided them guidance in the wilderness, that God provided a cloud by day and a fire by night. And you can look at this in Exodus chapter 40, starting in verse 36. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So this is a very, very festive time in Jerusalem, when in the evenings, the courtyard of the women would have these four magnificent gigantic lamps and within those lamps are these four other smaller lamps on it and these lamps were filled with oil and they would burn really bright in the night in Jerusalem and so if you can imagine a dark night because I think it's hard for us to imagine this because we don't experience true darkness because of all of our light pollution you know even when you sleep you have your clock on or you have some device on or a humidifier or whatever it is like something's on there's always like a light or a street light so but if you can imagine like you were in true darkness like when you go camping and it's pitch black and all you see is stars it's after the campfires put out it's like when you put everything away and it's just a night sky and it's just that real darkness now imagine that 
and then these four spectacular lamps, huge, lighting the night sky in contrast to this dark night. And so this court of the temple was lit brightly with these four magnificent lamps with, with four smaller lamps on them. And then the Levites, they would begin to dance around this large court of women in the second temple that Herod built. And it was lit, right? Like it was lit. So, so much happiness, right? And so much joy and, and people singing and dancing and people are doing likewise in their booths, in their houses, right? That's what they're doing. And, and today, as I shared before, it's modern. So like they plug in the electrical stuff. And so they have the strobe lights going. They have the disco ball going. And, and people are just partying and dancing and singing. That's what they're doing now. But back then, you know, um, no electricity yet. So it's just lamps and people dancing and singing. And I give you this background, again, from last week, but more so focused on the light this time, because last week we focused on the water, but I'm focused on the light this time because this is when Jesus said this on verse 12. And Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So you see the richness of why Jesus said these various things in regards to the living water, in regards to this light. Now I encourage you to study John more in depth on your own, because uh, we're, we're looking at this whole chapter today, and I can only cover so much. And so if you want to look at the rest of the chapter of John that we're not covering today, please do that. But you'll notice that in all of John chapter 8, Jesus is pointing to himself. And he's letting everyone hear who he says that he is, but they're rejecting every message even though they hear it. And their response of rejection is actually quite rude. They say some rude things to Jesus. And yet Jesus is just simply pointing out their spiritual need. He's pointing out how he's the one who can heal their spiritual sickness. And, and this is what we'll focus on this morning. In verses 12 through 20, Jesus addressed the spiritual darkness that they were walking in. And so verse 12 again, again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And he's, of course, speaking of spiritual darkness. It's what Jesus spoke about with Nicodemus who visited Jesus at night. And Jesus said to him in John chapter 3, verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. And when people don't understand spiritual things, they tend to revert back to physical, worldly, tangible things that they understand. And so he reverts back to thinking about the physical when Jesus is speaking about the spiritual. And so Nicodemus asked about how am I going to enter my mom's womb a second time? And then Jesus redirects Nicodemus to the spiritual life and tells him about being born of water and of the spirit. You're not being born of a woman again. You're being born spiritually, reborn spiritually. And then you enter into the kingdom of God. Now, going on with this, let's go back to John 8, verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. 
You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Now, why could the Pharisees not see? Because they're still living in spiritual darkness. The scales are still over their eyes. Jesus explained what darkness was at the Sermon on the Mount, which was chronologically before what's happening here. Let's look back to that. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 34. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. By nature, darkness is within all of us. It's our nature as people. So if the way that you and I see things is dark, it's because of a darkness that is within us. And you know how this is, because when you try to communicate with someone who has you know, lost their mind, whether it's emotionally or it's from disease or substance or, or an accident, you can't communicate with them because of their state of mind that it has been altered. It's been altered in such a way that they cannot understand what you're saying. They cannot communicate. And so you can't tell that person to think clearly so that they can communicate with you because they simply cannot do that. And so it's similar with a person who's in darkness. You cannot physically reason. You cannot physically, verbally, tangibly say these things. They can't see the light because there is a darkness within. And that is how they see things. That they are unable to see Jesus for who he is because of the darkness within. And you may be able to see clearly in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, they're dark. Now a big problem that people have is that they think that they see clearly when in fact they are blind. And we'll look at this problem at the next chapter, but by nature we are spiritually blind. And the tragic thing is when people who are blind think that they can see. And this is what Jesus brings up in verse 15. This is the same thing that Nicodemus dealt with in the earlier chapters. And it's this, verse 15. You judge according to the flesh. You judge according to the flesh. And this is exactly what people in the world do all the time. We are speaking spiritual things, and then they judge us in their flesh. They're not judging us through their spiritual lens because they can't see spiritually because it's darkness in there. It's a scale there. And so this is what Jesus is pointing out. You are judging according to the flesh. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Continuing on in verse 21, so he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. 
Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. So again, they're reverting back to flesh, whether it's spiritual blindness or in this occasion here that they're thinking that Jesus is going to kill himself. And he said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he who will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Not only are they spiritually blind, and they're unable to see the light, verses 12 through 20, but they're also spiritually dead, verses 21 through 30. In verse 21, he says this, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Spiritual death. And then in verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So spiritually blind and also spiritually dead. And just like Nicodemus, reverting back to the physical. Reverting back to judging in the flesh. Back to the flesh. Now look at verse 22. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And again, this is what people in the world often do. You speak to them about spiritual things, and because they are spiritually blind, because they are spiritually dead, they don't operate in the spiritual. They revert back to the flesh. They revert back to the world. You judge according to the flesh. And this is what always happens. And they think Jesus is talking about suicide. Again, these are religious people he's talking to, by the way. Right? These are the religious leaders of the day. These are the Pharisees. He's talking to religious people. He's not talking to an atheist. He's talking to people who believe in God. And they're reverting to the flesh. Jesus said that they will die in their sins and they have no clue what he's talking about. Which was a clear sign that they are indeed spiritually dead because they have no idea what he's talking about. Spiritually blind, spiritually dead. And they don't even know that they're spiritually dead because they've never experienced spiritual life. During my college years, I I worked as an EMT. It was part of the way that I paid for colleges. I used to do these shifts because I could do like a 24-hour shift on weekends. And then, you know, you get paid overtime after eight hours. You get paid overtime after 40. So I'd I'd do like a Saturday-Sunday shift. And then, like, during the nights, it was easy to work because you'd just be put in a station and you can sleep unless you got a call or something like that. So it was just an easy way. But I worked in L.A. County. County General Hospital was one of the places I worked. And I saw some really gruesome stuff. I even worked on the 13th floor. I don't know if any of you are aware of this. Most of the time, like, the 13th floor, there's no 13th floor in the elevator, even though it's, like, Floor number 14, so, you know. Um, But floor number 13 in L.A. County Hospital, back then at least, it was the inmate floor. 
and uh, it's only one elevator in, one elevator out. There's a chamber there that you have to go in, and, and law enforcement has to check in all their weapons before they let you in the next room and stuff. So I, I even worked on that floor. I worked in the ER, and I'd be that 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old kid that uh, was an EMT who would walk all the deceased people from the ER down to the basement of the morgue. And you look at these patients from afar before they put the sheet over them, and, and they, they looked alive because their hair was styled or they were clean-shaven or you looked at their nails and their nails were done. Um, most of the time, the clothes weren't on there anymore because they cut them off and work on the people. But everything else around them, whether it's like hair and nails and, and makeup, they'd have makeup on. And so you'd look at them and, and they'd look alive and, and you wouldn't know that they were deceased until you got a little closer and, and checked for signs of life and like a pulse or breathing and that wasn't there. Well. One of these days, I'm just moving uh, bodies from, from the ER down to the morgue. I'm wheeling it, and, and usually you go with a partner. So I had a partner that he was wheeling. He was pulling the gurney from the front, and I was pushing it, and we're going down. And if you can envision in a horror movie, like your classic horror movie in a hospital, like this is it. Like this is where they get it from. Dimly lit, flickering light, super quiet. All you can hear is like, from those wheels and then your steps are like sticking on the thing. Like that's, that's it, that's all it is. It's like classic, that's where they got it. The basement of LA County General Hospital, that's where they get horror scenes for hospitals. That's where they get it. And I'm, I'm walking down and he's pulling and we're just going and then we're like, oh! And I ran to the elevator, that guy ran down the hall. We were just, and we looked back, I, he was a pretty big guy. I've never seen a big guy run that fast. Like, he, he would have made the NFL that day. He was, like, so fast. But down, you know, early 90s, this is how it was. I don't know if it's like that anymore. Hopefully not. But that's how it was back then. Super scary. And then by the time I'm, like, getting in the elevator, trying to push the thing, and he's at the end, we look back at each other, and we just start laughing. Like, oh, dude, like, we're so stupid. And so we come back, and then we start wheeling again. But we thought back to our training that they said, like, people have air in them still, so when you move them around, sometimes the air comes out and then they make noises. And so, like, we must have been, like, going along and he's like, right? So, like, totally freaked us out, right? A sign of death is that people don't respond to stimulus. And that person was dead, and they don't respond to stimulus. Because like, like I told you, I worked on the 13th floor as well, and a lot of times these inmates would pretend that they were unconscious or that they were dead or whatever, and they'd pretend. And they'd have to do like a sternal rub or something like that, or they'd have to do like a clavicle grab, and, the, and then the guys would be like, oh, okay! And like, okay, you, he's alive. You're like, you, don't have, you don't have to wheel him down to the morgue, right? And so a sign of spiritual death is a lack of response to the calling of Jesus where he's trying to get your attention and he's doing the sternal rub and he's doing your clavicle grab and he's doing whatever he's doing to try to awaken you. And you may look alive, but you're spiritually dead. You are judging according to the flesh. And if there's no response to Jesus in faith, in love, in service, in trust, it's because there's no spiritual life to respond. There's no spiritual connection to God. And so here Jesus speaks of their spiritual death. 
Spiritual blindness in verses 12 through 20, spiritual death in verses 21 through 30, and then there's this spiritual bondage in verses 31 through 36. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, keep in mind this judging by the flesh, right? They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone, how is that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is kind of like when people give teachers that glazed over look, like they're just like phased out, like they're, they're checked out, right? And anyone who's taught students knows how this is when you're teaching and then the students, I, I mean, I get this every Sunday, like here, like I, 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 you know. I kid, I kid, I see all of you, yay, okay. But Jesus sensed this and he directs them toward himself again and he says to them in verse 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And yet, he's giving them these spiritual directives and then how do they respond? They respond in a fleshly way. We are offspring of Abraham, a physical guy, a guy that is their ancestor and yes, they are of the lineage of them, but they're going back to flesh again. They're not talking about spiritual things. And have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will be free? And so reverting back to the physical, reverting back to the flesh while Jesus is speaking of the spiritual and that they are in bondage to sin. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And how they respond to Jesus is a sign that they are indeed in bondage. And it's an evidence of their bondage to sin. Look at verse 37. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. You want to kill me. Like, that's sinful. That the words of Jesus don't advance them spiritually. The evidence we are set free from spiritual bondage is that God's word advances our life. It changes us. It transforms us. But it wasn't doing any of that for them. They were not freed from their bondage. They were not awakened from their bondage to sin. And maybe... You know in your mind that Jesus sets people free from bondage. But do you know that he's done that for you? That it's a personal thing for you. It's not for somebody else or that it's just something that he does. But that it's been done for you. And it's something that you cannot do for yourself. Because if you could, there's no reason for Jesus to die on the cross. If you could do that for yourself, there's no reason for Jesus to die. Verse 36, so if the Son sets you free, he was crucified, you will be free indeed. So we have spiritual blindness, spiritual death, and then spiritual bondage, and then we have being spiritually orphaned. And that's in verses 38 through 42. Now you notice that every time Jesus says something to them, they have this worldly, fleshly rebuttal. That it's not 
a question in the spirit being answered by the spirit. It's a question in the spirit being answered by the flesh. And they keep on fighting this and it keeps going in this circular way because they're not even speaking the same language. Now spiritually orphaned, it starts in verse 37 and you notice that they claim Abraham to be their father. They're reverting back to the flesh again and a bit later they do say that God is their father but their first instinct is fleshly, physical. And they say Abraham is our father. And they don't recognize their heavenly father as their first instinct. They first go to the flesh. We often do that too, don't we? We're talking about these things and then somebody refutes us or has a rebuttal in the flesh and then we go into the flesh and we start talking about like, well, well, how about this and how about that? And then we get into outside of a spiritual conversation. But here's the thing is that Abraham is your earthly, fleshly father, but he can't save you. And they don't catch themselves until later when they fall back to kind of thinking again and go in the flesh and connect God as their heavenly father. And Jesus simply pointed out a simple sign seen in all of God's creation. Let's read starting in verse 38. I speak of what I've seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you're Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And I don't know if you caught that dig that they were trying to put towards Jesus. Because they're like, who's your daddy? Right? We know it's not Joseph. Right? So they're trying to give a little dig to Jesus here. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. The telltale sign in all of God's children is found in verse 42. This is in all of God's children. If God were your father, you would love me. That's the sign of all Christians. For I came from God and I am here. All of God's children love Jesus Christ. All of them. Jesus loves his own, and his own love him in return. We love the Lord Jesus. Jesus gives us spiritual sight, spiritual life, spiritual freedom, and spiritual family. The Gospel of John is actually a really, really sweet book for me. It was the first book of the Bible I read in its entirety as early as I could read because my dad brought me to know Jesus and then I asked him, like, what do I read? And he directed me to the book of John. And then he just said, just keep reading that. Just keep reading that. And so that was just kind of my nightly ritual was just to read a chapter of the Bible every night. Part of it also was because if I didn't, I got punished, which I don't encourage you to do to your kids for not doing that. But it was actually my mom who punished me, and my mom's not even a believer. She just wanted me to read, and so she, she enforced this. But I don't know how many times I've read the Gospel of John. It's been many, many times because I've continued to study it in the last 40 years of me walking with Christ. And how meaningful it was to me as a baby Christian it's still so meaningful to me today, like 40 plus years later. 
the depth is still there. It like doesn't get old. He still shows me things through it that there is indeed a spiritual light, a spiritual life, a spiritual freedom, a spiritual family in this. The tough thing is like this is something I hear from lots of Christians and even from people I, I visit in the hospital who have lost faith in Christ and they're like, if God were real, then why this? If God were real, then why these things happening in the world? It doesn't mean that life is without trial, that life is exempt of difficulty and challenges. There are many, including myself, who can attest that really dark times, God was still there. I went through a two-year depression in my own life, and it was really tough to see God during that time. And I've shared with you my daughter's dark hours of wanting to even take her own life and years of dealing with that. I do have to share with you, like, coming out of those dark times, we both came out knowing Jesus even more deeply. That was me for myself when I went through that when I was about 19, 20 years old, and for my daughter who's been going through that in her teenage years. That we experience these dark times, but the thing is, you don't know what the spiritual light is without the darkness. You don't know what spiritual life is without a spiritual death. You don't know what spiritual freedom is unless you know you're in bondage. You don't know that you're spiritually adopted unless you're orphaned. And so we experience these really negative things, but we know that as we accept Jesus Christ, that we walk in the light of life and free of them as one who is a beloved child of God. That we have those things. And so the invitation is out for you also this morning to respond to Jesus. And for you to stop yourself and pause to not go into your flesh and start answering God's call to you spiritually with something of the flesh. That's the huge challenging thing. That once the invitation is out, you will go back into your flesh. What will people think? Well, what about science? Or what about this? Or what about that? And you start thinking about all the physical, fleshly things, and then you go back to Jesus saying, you're judging by the flesh. That is precisely what you do. But in order to see the light, to live in life, to walk in freedom, to belong in family, which is the greatest spiritual aspiration, there is nothing greater than having Jesus as your friend, your savior, your master, the one who helps you see, the one who helps you live, the one who helps you be free and to be in a family. Let's pray. Lord, the words are so challenging because we're talking about spiritual things and so often we do revert back to our flesh and the things that we understand through fleshly, worldly experiences and yet you're speaking in a way that is speaking to our soul, that is speaking to our spirit. And so, Lord, may you please make that path clear so that we can see that really clearly 
so that we can respond to your invitation, that you want to take the scales so that we can see, that we can indeed live in freedom, belonging to you. The other side of it, really, what is the hope? What is the everlasting hope? And we're going to experience these same things in this world in terms of difficulties and challenges. And one way we depend on ourselves or we depend on the world and things like that, but again, it's temporary. So we ask, God, that you would open the eyes, open the hearts of everyone here, because I don't assume that everyone receives you spiritually because as you were talking to these Pharisees, you were talking to religious people and yet they could not understand you spiritually because they kept reverting back to the flesh. And so this morning, Lord, would you open the eyes of everyone here, everyone listening to this message, that they would indeed receive you, trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to talk about any of that, if you want to pray about any of that, um, Mike, who is one of our elders, is in this left front pew. I would be honored to talk with you and pray with you as well. After the service, I just hang out in the back. So be more than happy to talk about these things. But at this time, we're going to move into a time of communion. And if you don't have those elements and are ready to partake in that with us, please just hold up your hand. This is a, a rich symbol for us. This wafer symbolizing the body of Christ broken for us and this fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ shed for us. And during this really rich time at the Feast of Booths when Jesus is talking about him being the living water, he was speaking of this element here and he's speaking of him being the light of the world. But none of that happens without his sacrifice on the cross and so this is where we commemorate that, celebrate that. In Jesus' name, we take this in remembrance of what he did. And the fruit of the vine, in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you for your sacrifice. When these religious folk that you were talking to were thinking that you were wanting to kill yourself all the while pointing to the sacrifice you'd make on the cross for us. And that you'd overcome death by resurrecting three days later. And you would question where the sting of death would be, that permanent place of separation from you, that you would turn that around. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.